0: What's up guys? Welcome back to the MMA meeting. Let's talk with the podcast where we talk all things MMA. Hope you guys are having an awesome day. We're gonna start with some boxing talk. So as you've heard, Mike Tyson is gonna be fighting Roy Jones Jr. in an exhibition bout in Los Angeles, California. No headgear, 12 ounce gloves, no judges. Which means the winner is only going to be dictated by finishing the opponent or, you know, one of them quits or something like that. If it goes to a decision, this is probably one of the only times where us fans could kind of unofficially say who the winner was. Count the rounds, 10.1 system, all that stuff. We could all pretty much agree who wins the fight. Now, it's a pretty crazy fight, man. We're talking about two of the biggest stars in boxing history. Two guys who dominated the boxing scene, late 80s and 90s. And two boxers who were in negotiations fight each other in 2003 so Roy Jones defeated John Ruiz for the heavyweight title he became one of the only fighters in the past 150 years to win the middleweight belt and also win the heavyweight belt he looked amazing doing it too for his first title defense he was in talks to fight either Mike Tyson or Lennox Lewis ultimately they saw Mike Tyson probably the bigger draw probably the more notable name Lennox was a little bit tougher for Roy Jones that would have been a really bad fight for him so Tyson was the sought after first title defense for Roy Jones But ultimately, Roy Jones kind of turned it down because he wanted more money. (laughs) Which is crazy because they offered him a guarantee $40 million. $40 million guarantee to fight Mike Tyson. And that's not even counting pay-per-view points. We're talking about a guy who probably would have made over $100 million fighting Mike Tyson. Knowing how much Mike Tyson sold on pay-per-view. Roy Jones sold pretty good too. But Mike Tyson was a Superstar. And fighting Roy Jones would have been one of the biggest fights of all time. And also would have been a doable fight for Roy Jones. That would have been a very competitive fight. And what Roy Jones said, he said Mike Tyson is going to happen down the road. And he set his sights on Antonio Tarver. And We all know how that went down. So he beats Antonio Tarver by decision. It was competitive. People didn't like it. They rematched. And Roy Jones gets t for the first time in his career. He actually loses, besides disqualification, for the first time in his career. And it was never the same after. People were able to hit him easier. Whenever he got hit, he got hurt. His chin was just not durable enough to take the punches. Still has some speed. Still had his reaction timing, which was the biggest asset to his game, but just way more hittable than ever before. I and mean, when we're talking about a guy who went through a round without getting hit against Vinny Pazienza. A guy who absolutely schooled James Tony and Bernard Hopkins with a hurt, I think it was a left hand. We're talking about one of the most talented boxers we've ever seen. Actually, a lot of professional boxers do deem Roy Jones the most talented boxer in history. Sugar Ray Leonard was awed by the side of this guy when he was 17 years old they knew he was different they knew something about him when they saw him in the training room like he was not the same as everybody else but Mike Tyson's a different animal man if they fought back in the day I don't know exactly who would have won because Mike Tyson was not in the right state of mind Roy Jones was clearly the faster fighter he was clearly riding on this momentum so he probably would have won I don't know about now man if Mike Tyson hits him once today Jones is going down very rare will you ever see a fighter still have speed in his punches the way Tyson has at 54 years old Roy Jones is fifty-one, and he has declined in his speed so much more than Tyson has. Even though he's been more active in boxing, right? Roy Jones retired in two thousand and eighteen, which is a year and a half ago. Right, a year and a half ago, that's when he stopped boxing. His career was nearly thirty years. It was twenty-nine years of professional fighting. Mike Tyson retired in two thousand and five, started in nineteen eighty-five, so his professional career was twenty years. And you have to also add the extensive amateur career of each other. Roy Jones won the Olympics, got robbed of the gold medal. Had to settle for silver, probably the biggest robbery in boxing history. And that is just crazy. Look at Tyson hit mitts. It's crazy to see how fast he is. The only other fighter at the top of my head that I know carries his speed still is Fedor Emelianenko. There's nobody else other than Tyson and Fedor that it seems like right now, maybe Anderson Silva, that has a relative speed in their strikes ever since they were young and that's a scary scary thing for Roy Jones Jr. because if the speed is comparable between Tyson and Roy Jones Jones is going to get clipped that's how it always has been if you were able to outspeed Roy Jones he was in trouble it was the biggest factor to his boxing he was just so much faster than everybody he would throw a power right straight and lean into it extend and still be fast enough to retract away from a counter shot away from like a check left hook or even a jab like he was that fast whereas any other boxer who tries that they're getting clangered man so yeah I do think Mike Tyson will win if it if they take it seriously Roy Jones obviously does have a chance right if he relies on his cardio and makes it a slower fight and just picks at a distance because he does have a longer reach and he is a bit better with his jab Tyson does have that head movement he's really good at getting on the inside of those but Roy Jones gonna have to start moving man he's gonna have to start using that footwork use a lot of jabs don't commit with a lot of power shots unless it's You know dead set that he could catch Mike Tyson's head movement. And just make it a battle of attrition. Because there are positive results of fighting up until 2018. His cardio. Right he's gonna be in better shape to fight. He's gonna have better conditioning to fight. Right Mike Tyson's been out of the game for 15 years. Roy Jones only a year and a half so Roy Jones has a better feel he's gonna be a little bit more comfortable in the ring compared to Mike Tyson the negative result of it is Roy Jones been hit too much right he's been hit so much every time he gets hit he gets wobbled and his last loss against Enzo McCarinelli it was really bad he got hammered man and even though Mike Tyson has lost nearly all of his fights by knockout he still does take a little bit better punch than Roy Jones Jr you know he did lose his last two fights by uh TKO or knockout and even lost to linux lewis you know two fights before that by ko i do think he could take a better punch than roy jones jr but does that mean he could take any punch from roy jones jr because roy jones hits hard man he could really hit hard if he sticks his landing they call him captain hook for a reason he has a really good sneaky right uppercut a piston of a right straight i mean i don't know if he could take that shot from roy jones jr i still don't know maybe a couple but if tyson hits roy jones once that's that's a wrap so, I can see this fight playing out in different ways. It might be exciting. They might go toe-to-toe with each other. Even though it's said that they're not supposed to go hard on each other, they've both been wanting to fight for a pretty long time. Roy Jones has been calling out Andrew Silva forever, right? He's been calling out fighters to fight him, but nobody really wants to do that or they can't do it because of their contracts in different sports. So, he's been itching to fight. And as for Mike Tyson, the guy's been saying that the gods of war have been calling on him. Like, he's... <laughs> He's not just ready to fight. He's ready to die on his sword or something. Like, he just wants to go to war. So I do see maybe from Roy Jones' side, he's not going to take it super seriously to hurt Mike Tyson initially. Maybe feels it out a bit and then, you know, the momentum of the fight starts building on like sparring does sometimes. You know, when you spar, you're starting pretty light. Things get going. You tag each other a couple times and now it gets a little bit heated. That's why I see it's going to happen with Roy Jones Jr. It's going to be a little bit of a sparring match for him up until Mike Tyson tries to freight train him he's gonna come out there and be like okay here we go old timers veterans legends let's just tap for tat, go back and forth show our skill Mike Tyson's like nope lunges with that left hook at Roy Jones and Jones is like whoa man and now he knows he's in a real fight that's something I could see happening initially the other way this fight could play out is it might be boring it might be two old guys fighting that's a very real possibility because even though how much we love roy jones and mike tyson there is a bit of a uh exaggeration to their character exaggeration to their fighting abilities people think these two are gods or something and don't know that they age too so i can see them just being old men and nothing really exciting happens even if they finish the other it'll be like ah. I feel bad now for watching this. Now it could also play out like this. It might actually be competitive. They're going back and forth. They're actually better than we think. Going back and forth, we're pretty impressed. Maybe one of them gets a finish, and we all go home happy. And then there's this other one. If Mike Tyson is just that much in better shape, and Roy Jones is shot at this point or something, and Mike Tyson just bulldozes him from the beginning, that's gonna be a bittersweet feeling because you know, obviously, all of us are Tyson fans. We're all gonna love that Tyson won and the way he won, and you know, we're gonna remember his performance. But as Roy Jones fans, yeah, it's not gonna be good, man. I I don't want to see one of these two guys get hurt it's a bittersweet fight man that's all it is i'm gonna watch it for sure we're all gonna watch it for sure i don't know how much the pay-per-view is gonna be i don't know where they're actually uh putting it on but no matter what i'm watching it i cannot wait for it just the nostalgia factor i understand nostalgia can create illusions but just for the nostalgia i would watch it these two guys are some of my favorite boxers of all time roy jones is my absolute favorite boxer ever and i'm a guy who used to watch henry armstrong on video i used to watch Sugar Ray robinson and jack johnson and you know rocky marciano willie pep i used to watch tape of those guys a while back and through all the historic boxers i have studied and watched throughout the years nobody nobody called my eye like roy jones jr watch his highlight video i probably watched his highlight video that has probably what 10 million views now on youtube or something like that i'm probably responsible for half of those views i used to replay his highlight videos so much I used to study this guy so much, even when I was like 12 years old. I used to watch all of his fights, all of his knockouts, everything he used to do. I used to even listen to his songs. I mean, he's one of the only fighters that can actually make a decent song. (coughs) Tyron Woodley, Y'all Must Have Forgot is a really good track whenever you forget about Roy Jones' accomplishments. Whenever someone else will overlook him, you know, can't be stopped and all that stuff. I used to listen to all his music. I was a huge Roy Jones fan when I was young so yeah I'm definitely gonna watch it just for the nostalgia just to see Roy Jones fight live again I do see some boxing experts you know debating is Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. good for boxing just flat out no boxers have done many spectacles before at least these are two boxers fighting each other in a competitive scene I mean, Floyd Mayweather vs. Conor McGregor happened, Muhammad Ali fought Antonio Inoki way back in the day in the 70s, George Foreman fought five men in one night. I mean, we've seen nuttier things happen than this. This is nothing crazy. In fact, this is probably good for boxing because nothing is happening in boxing as of late. We have some fights here and there, but nothing big is happening. Nothing's getting the attention. MMA is getting all of the attention. Just having something to talk about in boxing can only be a good thing. I mean, we have a UFC card this Saturday that a lot of people are looking forward to from all different countries. I mean, we got Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till as the main event. Those are big names from different countries headlining, and the weigh-ins just happened this morning. The only guy that missed weight was Francisco Trinaldo, missed weight by five pounds, man. And I picked him to win the fight, but because he was off by five pounds means he probably tried. He probably saw, oh, maybe I'm not gonna make it, and kind of stopped, which is probably gonna give him an advantage. That main event, though, man. Whitaker versus Darren Till. In my predictions, I picked Darren Till to win, but man, I don't know about it. I would not bet on this fight ever. I would never bet on this fight. First of all, they're too close of odds to even make a confident pick. But still, they could both win. I can see Whitaker charging him down. Darren leans away and gets caught by a big right overhand or a left hook. I can see Darren moving back, catching Whitaker with an elbow, charging him, even getting him close and pressuring him to the cage and finding an elbow, finding a straight left. I can see many things happening in this fight. I'm just so excited to watch it. Alexander Gustafson weighed 240. 240 and he's fighting for Rich Over Doom who weighed in at 242 so anybody who has some speculation as to Gustafson not being a heavyweight yeah he's a heavyweight for sure man he weighs more than Stipe a light heavyweight weighs more than Stipe that means Stipe could have probably made 205 but he does have a different frame than Gustafson right he's very wide I don't think he has the frame to cut the weight of 205 because sometimes you need that GSP said he won't come out of retirement to fight uh, Akamaru Usman he just wants to fight Habib, but they're never gonna do it it's the same reason they're not gonna do Henry Cejudo versus Alexander Volkanovski They don't want that guy, the retired fighter, to come out, beat their champion, and then retire again. Because that's what's going to happen. Nobody thinks that Henry Suhudo is going to fight Alexander Volkanovski, potentially beat him, which is a very real possibility. And then just keep fighting contenders, right? I don't think anybody believes that. If he fights Volkanovski, if he beats him, he's going to retire. And I don't fault the UFC too much for making these decisions. It'd be really bad for their business, really bad for their divisions. If you have a champion who just lost, that's a terrible thing to build on, right? You're going to have to depend on a new fighter defeating your champion. So it takes a stigma off of the champion. But featherweight is in a very weird position because... There's no clear number one contender. We have this like mini tournament going on with Zabit vs. Yair or Takeo versus Korean Zombie. The winner of those fights, one of them, is getting a title shot. But until that happens, Volkanovski has nobody to fight. Maybe he takes time off. Maybe he waits it out because, you know, it wasn't that easy of a fight against Max Holloway. Took a little bit of damage in that fight. So maybe he takes time off and waits. But if he wants to compete, who does he fight? I guess you do the trilogy with Max Holloway in the meantime until a number one contender gets established. But here's the thing. When are those fights happening? When is Zabit vs. Yair and Korean Zombie vs. Ortega happening? Zabit is fighting Yair on August 29. And Korean Zombie vs. Ortega is not even officially scheduled. But Dana White said that's the fight that's in the works. But it's been in the works since May oh the problem is uh Korean zombie cannot come to the United States but that's why they have fight island right can he go to fight island is the pandemic still that bad in South Korea I hope that fight gets made soon I really do so that fight is probably gonna happen later maybe somewhere around September that's a bit of time off for Volkanovski you know he's gonna have to wait for the winner maybe it's gonna be the winner of Zabit versus Yair because that's gonna be the first fight but Volkanovski does need to get respected a little bit more he's gotten a lot of disrespect as of late I mean he wasn't the one that judged the fight you know he just fought it and the judges gave him the fight but do you know who else needs a lot more respect davis and Figueroa, man so i tweeted before the fight i said i don't even know why this guy is not a bigger star than he is he has an exciting style he's super powerful he looks for the finish and he has a lively and crazy personality next day he goes out and steamrolls he bully beats down benavidez so badly it looked like it should never even happen and i was saying it a long time ago i was like they should not have done this they should not be putting benavidez up against this guy again especially so early from their last fight the guy just got concussed so badly that he said he was waking up and started crying for no reason he said he was getting emotional and forgetting things the guy is hurt man don't put him back four months later to fight the same guy just to get mauled on live television and make his concussions make his head trauma even worse because that's exactly what happened one question I really have is though how did Benavidez pass the medicals to fight if he is experiencing concussion like symptoms how was he even allowed to fight or given the green light months prior like how was that possible I feel really bad for Benavidez but He did say some questionable things before the fight. He made a lot of excuses. He painted Figueredo as some villain and a cheater. Like, I don't blame Figueredo for being upset even after the fight, right? He went after Benavidez. I bet he said he took his soul and then put him in a cask and stuff. Like, he went hard, right? He went savage on Benavidez afterward. And I can understand it. Right? You never want to be painted as a cheater. That's one of the worst things you can call a fighter. Even though it was Benavidez that did the headbutt. He headbutted Figueredo. And I think him getting knocked out in the first fight was going to be inevitable. It looked like the fight was leading up to that. And then when you look at the rematch. You see how easy it was for Figueredo. And we have an exciting champion in the flyweight division man. I remember when I named him the prospect of 2018. I saw so much promise in the guy. He looks so terrifying in the octagon. Like imagine fighting him. It's like fighting your nightmare. You know sometimes when you have that nightmare. Where you're in a fight. And you're hitting the guy or something and he's not feeling it or you're just missing every punch, it's weird. That's just what it seems like when you're fighting Figueroa. Like it looks like he just walks through everything you do and he hits you once and you fall. It's like some cheat in a video game hits you you fall you can't hurt him and next for him has to be brendan moreno right brendan moreno is on a very good win streak right now i think four win streak or something like that and he has defeated some good contenders i know people are talking about ascar ascar but ascar is on what a two win streak or something we got to give it to brendan moreno and i hope figueredo becomes a bigger star because he has the highlight reel ability right they can make a highlight reel from figueredo's performances if he just keeps knocking out or submitting guys left and right potentially go up to 135 fight some of the bigger names there because bantamweight for some reason has bigger names than like featherweight or flyweight right with Cody Garbrandt TJ Dillashaw Sean O'Malley has a big name now they're bigger than most of the 145ers which is which is kind of weird right and Davidson Figueredo is bigger than TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt he just fights at a weight class that is lower people don't know he walks around at 165 he walks around heavier than TJ and Cody Garbrandt Cody walks around in the 140s maybe pushing one fifty. Where he even says he could fight at 125 no problem. TJ weighs in like the low 150s. We're talking about Davidson Figueredo. Who can actually go up to 145. Back in the day. And we're talking about Jose Aldo right. Jose Aldo used to weigh around you know high 160s. Fighting at 145. And people used to consider him big. That's essentially what Davidson Figueredo is. It's just insane how he's able to make 125. That's just abnormal. I don't even know how he does it. Because it looks like he has low body fat too. I need a scientist or a doctor to explain to me how he makes that weight. Because losing and cutting. 40 pounds at a lower weight is much harder than when you're heavy because it's more of your body weight percentage. I mean the guy's losing and cutting 20% of his body weight to make 125. That's like cutting your arm off and to be honest because of the whole weight thing in MMA I want to see the weight cutting thing just get abolished or they got to do something about it because I know for a fact that Figueiredo is not in his prime form fighting at 125 right? I think we can all agree on that. Paulo Costa is probably not in his prime form fighting at 185. I hope they could do something that they did in 1FC and just monitor how much weight they're actually cutting. You know, they can't cut this much body percentage. That's what should be happening. It shouldn't be, they can still hold weight classes, but what they should do is they can't cut more than like 10% of their body weight. That should be a rule. That means if you weigh 200 pounds, you cannot cut to 170. Which is what a lot of fighters in welterweight are doing, right? A lot of fighters in welterweight walk around at like 200 pounds, even plus. Like Tyron Woodley or uh, Darren Till, Douglas Lima, etc. You know, if you're gonna be 200 pounds you're probably gonna have to fight at 185 if you weigh 180 pounds you're probably gonna have to fight at 170 like that's what it's gonna be and that's healthier for everybody and also makes no excuses for weight bullies right you know how people call off certain fighters weight bullies they cut so much weight and they just overpower everybody that won't be a thing but now let's get right to the questions here so we're gonna start with Zach Lopopolo stylistically who is your favorite fighter in each division heavyweight probably surreal gone at light heavyweight probably Magomed Ankalaev, middleweight Israel Adesanya, welterweight Stephen Thompson, lightweight Conor McGregor, featherweight Zabit Sharipov, bantamweight Sean O'Malley, flyweight Davis Figueroa, women's bantamweight Amanda Nunes, women's flyweight Valentina Shevchenko, and women's strawweight Rósa Yunus I love high-level striking. I love boxing, kind of Taekwondo-ish kicks. Really good movement. Really good footwork. That's kind of thing I really like to see. Then we go to Artem the Goat. Welcome, Martim. Should Habib fight Tony for his last title defense? It depends. I think Habib will like it. I think us fans would really like to see it. But Tony's going to have to earn it. Tony's going to have to win another high-ranked fight or something to eventually get it. Because I think Habib... I don't know if he's going to fight. I hope he fights. I have a feeling he will. I have a feeling he's going to fight Justin Gaethje or fight the winner of something happening. Because... I think his manager did say that Geishe should fight Conor McGregor. allow Habib to get through things right now. So I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen. And then why did Pettis fall off after the RDA loss? His style was figured out. That's really what it was. Clay Guida is the one that really put the blueprint out there. Clay Guida was able to control Pettis like no one ever did before. RDA expanded on that. He knew that pressure got to Pettis it didn't allow him to work because Pettis is amazing at the center he's amazing when you give him opportunities to throw kicks and if you can shut that down by pushing him back to the cage so now he can't even throw the kicks and force him to box in a parallel stance you're able to throw strikes at him now right now you're able to throw punches and kicks as well as the threat of the takedown always being there but that's the thing you want to really get that threat out there first you want to show Pettis hey if you make a mistake if you really commit I'm going to take you down, right? And that worriedness, that hesitation allows fighters to hit Pettis. Gilbert Melendez tried it, right? Gilbert Melendez tried to pressure and tried to wrestle. The thing is, though, his takedowns were not that strong right Pettis was able to feel them and he knew he could defend them very easily as well as his speed was so much superior like he was able to get at Melendez before Melendez even knew what was happening and that actually caused Melendez to start hesitating a little bit more or start getting into this panic state but if you look after the Huffer Dos Santos fight Eddie Alvarez did the same thing Eddie Alvarez consistently went for the takedowns with the pressure he was able to get a decision win you got to give credit to Edson Barboza because he was one of the only fighters in the lightweight division to really outstrike Pettis at his own game He was the first fighter that was able to do that. He fought Max Holloway, went down to 145, also got outstruck in the fight. Dustin Poirier did a similar thing. A lot of pressure, a lot of takedowns. The takedowns allowed him to open up with his boxing. Tony Ferguson did the same thing without the wrestling, which made it more competitive. Because Tony wasn't going for wrestling, Pettis knew it was going to be a striking match. So he just let his hands fly, let his kicks fly without being worried of the takedown. Nate Diaz, pressure with the boxing instead of taking Pettis to the ground, just stuck in the clinch right he used that pressure to just push him against the cage and start working with dirty boxing Carlos Diego Ferreira pressure wrestling open up his striking it's just a consistent formula that Pettis has never been able to really fix you know he tried he tried to fix it after the RDA loss and he started to wrestle a lot more but he said that kind of messed up his game because he became more defensive Which is something that's not natural to him. He's a very offensive fighter. So it seems like he's just defense or offense. It's hard for him to switch between the two sometimes. And then your last question. Who in the sport has the best resume? Oh GSP. GSP has the best resume. If you're counting PEDs as well on your resume. Yeah nobody's close to GSP. Then we go to Josh C07 fantasy matchups prime GSP versus Usman I gotta go with prime GSP I think his striking is way superior he has very strong wrestling very good off his back we will actually shoot on Usman as well which will put Usman in a very different kind of fight that he's used to I think GSP is just a little bit too well-rounded for Usman and wins on the decision Masvidal versus McGregor that's a really good fight but I gotta go with Masvidal I think is super competitive for the first two rounds I actually think McGregor will win the early fight I think he's a little bit too fast. I think he can hurt Masvidal. If he's able to trap Masvidal against the cage, that can really open him up for some of those left hands. But I think Masvidal's too tough, has too good of a chin, good wrestling as well. Can mix it up early against McGregor, get McGregor tired. McGregor's not gonna be able to hold up with Masvidal. And Masvidal's really gonna let his hands go and start catching McGregor. And the thing is, Jorge is extremely tough. He has a very good chin and even better ability to recover after taking shots because... As you know he's been dropped many times in his UFC career. He got dropped by Derek Cookshank, got dropped by Michael Chiesa, Darren Till, Wonderboy Thompson, but whenever he gets dropped he's Instantly recovering and I think a very similar thing would happen with Conor McGregor even if Conor is dropping Jorge Masvidal hurting him I think it's gonna be a very similar thing when Conor fought Nate Diaz where he hits him Drops him and he's still in the fight Conor can't finish him off and because of all of Conor's Explosions he starts to gas out more and more that can also play out in the fight as well But I do think it would be more technically competitive I think they're both just amazing strikers, amazing boxers Jorge in general has good boxing defense He has a good understanding of how not to get hit from punches Especially when you come at him with a more boxing focus Rather than something like uh, Wonderboy Thompson Who takes off very different angles that Jorge is not used to Right? A karate style And a huge thing about this fight also is Jorge and Conor in opposite stances. And yes, it does open up the left hand for Conor McGregor. And also, he's amazing at countering your power hand by slipping on the outside of it and then returning with his left. This is one of his signature techniques. But on the other end, Jorge has the right body kick. That is something Conor never deals with. He never deals with guys kicking his body, kicking at his head. And Jorge is one of the absolute best Ronalds kick to the body I have ever seen in the sport. And that can also play into Connor starting to gas out. Dirty boxing is a thing for Jorge Mazdal as well. Getting into the clinch, pushing Connor up against the cage, using his size, and start just hammering the body. The body work can be something very much focused on for Jorge to break down Conor McGregor. I think Masvidal would win by a late TKO. Sean O'Malley versus Aldo. Right now, probably Jose Aldo. Sean O'Malley's not tested right now. He has not been tested that well. Even in his next fight against Cheeto, Cheeto is a good fighter. But nothing like Aldo. I see O'Malley not having good leg kicking defense. If Aldo decides to shoot takedowns. He possibly can get him against Sean O'Malley. The flashiness from O'Malley will get to Aldo a bit. I think it's gonna be hard for Aldo to get in close on Sean O'Malley initially but the thing is how much can O'Malley keep that up how much can he keep the flashiness and the explosive striking up for because if you cannot outlast Aldo you're gonna have a tough time on your hands man that's how usually fighters beat him even Petrion having a competitive first round lost the second competitive third I think if I remember correctly the fourth and fifth as Aldo got tired completely ran through him and if O'Malley can't do that If he cannot outlast and wait for the last two rounds or something I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up with Aldo for the first three I really don't know So I'm going to go with Aldo on that one I think leg kicks may be a little bit too strong Because of the kicks and because maybe Aldo can push O'Malley close to the cage Maybe use some of his wrestling to get there Or just pressure with some of his blitz two punch combinations maybe some of those can get to O'Malley the thing is O'Malley hasn't shown too much to us yet he's rarely faced adversity other than you know hurting his leg or something like that and also he's advancing at a very rapid pace so the O'Malley we see today you can't even look at the O'Malley three four fights ago you can't even look at that guy anymore very different fighter so I'll stick with Aldo I think in the future O'Malley would for sure beat him. Zabit versus Volkanovski in 5 rounds. I gotta go with Volkanovski. Zabit is too hard. Jose Aldo at least kind of hangs on. He's still offensive with some of the things he does in the 4th and 5th rounds. The last half of the 3rd round Zabit is not the same fighter at all. He's gone into more of a defensive shell if you allow him. He's not trying to win on points that much. That's why sometimes he loses that 3rd round. He's not adding on points anymore. He's not being offensive like he was for the first two. And it does leave him vulnerable a lot more than ever before. So Volkanovski is too smart. His leg kicks will hurt Zabit. He's not going to get taken down that easily. Zabit is going to probably force a strike with him. I think Zabit would win the first two rounds. Because of his long range boxing and some of his high kicks. Right? If Volkanovski had a hard time with the range of of Max Holloway. Zabit is another animal, man. (laughs) Zabit is longer and taller and just as fast as Max Holloway. And throws more techniques than Max Holloway does. So Volkanovsk is going to have a hard first two rounds but I see him winning and probably finishing Zabit in the fifth round. Adesanya versus Prime Anderson Silva. I talked about this before. I think Adesanya beats Prime Anderson. I think he's a better version of Anderson. He does a lot of things better than Anderson does. He's longer and taller just as fast if not faster than Anderson. He hits hard too. He's super precise. Here's the normal way of looking at it. Anderson is a sniper right? Adesanya is a longer sniper right? He snipes from farther out than Anderson does. That forces Anderson to have to engage Adesanya. Just like in their first fight. Just like how they fought. That's not going to be any different for Anderson. He's going to have to get in on Adesanya. Or he's just going to get kicked and punched from the outside. And he can't do anything about it. That forces Anderson out of his usual counter punching game. It's going to allow Adesanya to be the counter striker against Silva. It's going to be a different thing for Silva. Silva never fights guys like this. He never fights guys who try to counter him. Because of their height and reach and their style. He's never fought guys so much longer and so much taller than him. As well as having the same kind of speed. So no matter what version of Anderson you're bringing, I think Adesanya beats him. Probably not by knockout, but I think always wins by a decision. And then Calvin Cater versus Brian Ortega. I'm gonna go with Calvin Cater. He has better boxing. He's not gonna get taken to the ground. He has better kicks as well. He's just overall better striker than Ortega. Ortega will try to brawl his way through, but it's not gonna work against Cater. Korean Zombie versus Holloway. Ooh, that's a good fight. Korean Zombie's more powerful. The fight's probably not going to hit the ground. Holloway has better combinations. He has better kicks than Korean Zombie does. But Korean Zombie did fight Yair Rodriguez and dealt very well with the kicks. Ooh, I don't know who'd win this. This is like a 50-50. Because if Holloway's engaging him, Korean Zombie is going to fire back Korean Zombie also I believe has a longer reach and they're almost the same height so there is no big size advantage or disadvantage here and I think if Korean Zombie kind of does a similar thing where he's waiting for Holloway sees when Holloway's going to engage him he's probably gonna pump out some jabs counter with the right overhand if Holloway starts pumping his own jab like I said a bunch of times man Korean Zombie is the best at countering jabs don't throw jabs at him Unless you're really setting it up and make it very tricky for him. His slipping ability is among the best in the UFC. And that puts Holloway in a very weird position, man. But Holloway does have the combinations, right? So if you're slipping one punch or two punches, there's more coming, right? It's gonna be very hard for Korean Zombie to keep slipping all of these strikes from Holloway without eventually getting hit. Ah, uh, But the thing is, will the combinations get broken by one big shot, one big counter right overhand, or one big left hook from Korean Zombie? That's a thing, man. And also Korean Zombie is extremely precise with his hands. Extremely precise. I don't know who'd win. I honestly don't know. I'll go with Korean Zombie, but it's it's very, very tough. I could easily see Holloway winning. Gilbert Burns versus Jorge Masvidal. That's a really competitive fight. Burns is going to have a hard time taking down Masvidal. He could probably take a uh, very similar approach that Usman took, but with more striking, of course. Whenever he's in trouble, whenever he sees a hard time striking with Masvidal, he could just shoot him against the cage, try to work his way to the ground, maybe even pull guard. Land some elbows and stuff in the clinch as well. Try stuff there if nothing's working from a distance, because Masvidal is going to be better from a distance. Even though Birds can hold himself in the striking with Masvidal 100%, it's not going to be like if they just stand toe to toe with each other. Masvidal is going to blow through him. Not at all. It's going to be competitive, just like it is competitive in the wrestling. It's going to be competitive in the striking. So ultimately, I'm going to say Gilbert Burns wins. Not going to finish Masvidal at all. Probably never even going to hurt him. Probably never even going to come close to submitting him. But I think he's going to win on points. Using takedowns. Push him against the cage. Outlanding him. Making Masvidal a defensive fighter. Kind of like Kamar Usman did. Three Mighty Mouses versus Nganu. Uh three Mighty Mouses. Then we go to Ali Bader. I've noticed that you have changed your stance on Jones versus Adesanya. You used to say that Jones would be too much for Adesanya due to his reach, striking, and wrestling. But in your recent podcast you've been favoring Izzy to win just curious what brought about the change and how do you see that fight going now well a big thing was seeing the fights after i said that you know the dominic reyes fight did i say before the tiago santos fight i don't remember well looking back at tiago santos and seeing how some of the techniques that tiago santos used against jones were repeated by dominic reyes showed oh maybe a lot of things that tiago tried for is actually effective against Jones playing out no matter who tries it and then looking at the Yoel Amaro fight and the Robert Whittaker fight for Israel Adesanya yeah things change man it seems like Jones has plateaued a bit he's not showing any great strides in his skills and technique and anything like that and also knowing now that Adesanya can stop takedowns very well Yoel Amaro, I think tried like three takedowns or something like that one of them were almost secured but Adesanya stuffed them or just pop right back up. And that's against all Romero. That's a big thing, man. Because that was a big reason I thought Jones would probably be Adesanya. If he could take down Adesanya, Adesanya is done for. Right? If he can get Adesanya to the ground... Adesanya's gonna have a hard time very hard time because I do believe that Jones grappling is more effective than the striking I think he's a better grappler than he is a striker also mixed with the wrestling of course but the fact that Issa Adesanya's Adasanya's takedown defense is so stellar it's so strong and it's gonna force this fight to be striking or a clinch battle yeah it's gonna be a tough fight for Jones he's not gonna outstrike Adesanya he's way slower than Adesanya Adesanya is way more skilled way more technical on the feet he also gains power moving up weight you have to remember that he has fought heavyweight In kickboxing, when he adds on weight, he has power. So we know if he goes up to 205, he's gonna add on more power into his strikes, which probably would mean that he would be more powerful than John Jones. The other thing that still gives Adesana some issues is the reach. 84 and a half inch reach is hard for anybody to get by. You don't see that kind of reach, right? Unless you're fighting seven foot monsters and you know Adesana being the same height as Jones, he's gonna find some of his strikes falling short, unlike ever before, because he's never fought a guy with that kind of reach before. But does it matter when he has leg kicks? right Dominic Reyes and Tiago Santos both to everybody Jones is open to leg kicks it's something nobody used to go to nobody used to kick his legs nobody up until Tiago Santos like a game plan or an approach to kick his legs that was never a focus for any of Jones opponents previously and Adesanya has devastating kicks look what he did to you legs we're talking about a guy who's made of steel and he's way faster at throwing kicks than Dominic Reyes is for sure and he has comparable boxing to Dominic Reyes as well maybe not the same kind of fighter at uh changing angles at a dime but he is amazing at switching angles he's amazing at getting off center line he also switches stances which is something a lot of fighters that Jones fights doesn't do these different angles will create more opportunities for him to get past that long reach of Jon Jones kind of like Dominic Reyes did in some moments and also Adesanya has these feints man he's one of the best fighters in the world at throwing feints at the opponent and baiting out things if he could bait out takedowns or bait out their pulse and retreat from Jones he could start answering them very early in the fight and also he doesn't have to headhunt by getting these feints out there he could go to the leg he could feint up high get Jones to react leg kick these small things are going to add up in the fight it's going to force Jones to try some things the main problem for Jones is no matter what offense he goes with it might just get overcome by Adesanya he's not a better boxer he's not gonna box with Adesanya he's not gonna kickbox that much throwing kicks is a very dangerous thing to do against Adesanya he's gonna attempt a clinch well he's gonna have to get in close into Adesanya's reach to do that and even if he clinches up with Adesanya to try to get some of his signature takedowns or more comfortable takedowns natural takedowns that he goes for the trips and stuff Adesanya is a different level in the clinch he's so experienced in that clinch He's developed such a strong base that even heavyweights can't shake him, right? When he fought heavyweights in kickboxing, they couldn't shake him that much. Now, obviously, it's not the same kind of thing, not the same kind of trips, not the same kind of takedowns, or fighting a Greco-Roman wrestler like Jones, but I believe Adesanya with his strikes in the clinch and his strong base, Jones is going to have a problem there, man. And I don't think he's ever going to clinch up with Adesanya without getting hit first. If he's going to try to clinch up with Adesanya, maybe throw a jab and try to clinch up, he's going to get jabbed first, and then Adesanya's going to start letting elbows go, knees go, start disrupting the balance of John Jones potentially trying to because Jones also has a very strong base there as well I think it's gonna be a standstill a bit when it comes to try to disrupt the balance of each other but Adesanya striking in the clinch is gonna overcome Jon Jones and when you talk about Jon Jones you know double legs and single legs he doesn't normally go to those for a reason right he's not as comfortable doing that and also those are very hard to get to Adesanya because Adesanya has amazing footwork he has great footwork he's so fast at moving his feet as well as just clear out plain amazing takedown defense I think Adesanya might stuff the takedowns of John Jones and that's the biggest thing going to this one anything Jones tries offensively might just get answered defensively Jones might be an issue a bit but that just allows Adesanya to add on points in the fight Light kicks body kicks body punches maybe sometimes tapping him with a jab these things are gonna force Adesanya to win the fight so I do think Adesanya is going to win this fight by a decision if it ever happens then we go to son 98 who would win, Francis and Ngannou or the entire women's flyweight division? You're talking about a fight, right? <laughs> probably the women's division. Oh, you guys are so funny. Win or lose, Francis wins. Francis will eat their punches and kicks like pancakes, but he would still lose because he's a sweetheart. Yeah, that is true. He's such a nice guy. They all end up pregnant. Oh, man. No, that's not. That's the opposite of what the other guy said. There's too many. Francis would kill the first 20, then get tired. Then the rest will swarm like a pack of hyenas on an injured lion. Yeah, that's probably how I see it happening. Then we go to Luis Cruz, 16,000. Why nobody mentions DC's eye pokes against Stepe? Really? Well, I don't... I haven't watched too much uh, MMA analysts and stuff like that on ESPN and stuff. So I don't know. Do they talk about it? You're saying that they don't. So maybe this favorite it because DC's on the team. But I know Joe Rogan doesn't talk about it either. But he's DC's friend. So he won't bring that up. I see fans talk about it. So that's what matters to me. DC's eye pokes are definitely a big thing against Stipe. Like, it happened twice. He had to get surgery. Stipe had to get surgery because of the eye pokes from the rematch not even from the first fight from the rematch so yeah it's a clear thing and I hope Stipe talks to the ref maybe not during the night because he wants to stay focused but before if he knows who the ref's going to be talk to him be like hey man I had to get surgery because of this guy's fingers if he starts doing things man you got to really get on him for this it's kind of fortunate because always the first one is a warning but the first one is the one that does the damage. And Stepe knows he's gonna extend his fingers. He always does. Because DC, when he's fighting longer guys, he likes to put his hands forward. And wants to grab the longer guy's hands so he can close in behind them. But sometimes he misses the hands. Stepe tries to get around his hands and punch him. But then DC moves his hands in front of Stepe's face and gets his eye or what happened in the first fight i believe was it the first fight where he flicked his fingers at stipe's eyes like that looks so weird i've never seen a fighter do that i've never seen a fighter fling his fingers forward at someone's eyes it looked intentional a bit but it's a real concern dc really took the phrase if you can't beat him, join him after he fought John Jones. I obviously would not want to see this fight go to a DQ or a no contest. They got to change the gloves, man. They got to go to Pride gloves or Bellator gloves that force your fingers closed instead of extending them forward. I don't know why the UFC gloves are like that. I would think they want like a Pride glove where naturally it puts pressure on your hand to close your fist. Like right? that's how it naturally feels. While the UFC glove the pressure causes your hand to expand like open up it makes no sense unless it's like more catered to grapplers you know then we go to Mauro Medrado. who would face more difficulties to adapt in MMA a BJJ specialist with no striking or a karate taekwondo specialist with no grappling probably the latter because even though you're so good at striking uh, karate taekwondo also is gonna have a problem with some boxing and Muay Thai but there's still striking that you're gonna have to deal with you know still anybody can land that big punch and end you But when you go to the ground, there's no lucky submissions. Like, that doesn't happen. There's no lucky transitions. Everything is calculated. Everything is instinctual. A BJJ specialist, if he's able to get it to the ground, which would actually be a tough thing, he would have to pull guard. He's in his world. Like, there's really nothing you can do. I understand that fights start on the feet. And that gives the karate taekwondo fighter more of an advantage. So, you know, start to get things going. But he has absolutely no answers for takedowns. No answers at all. And in his world on the feet he could still get caught by anybody that's the dangers of striking anybody can catch you. no matter how skilled and technical you are no matter how experienced you are you could still get caught look at the clear roundtree versus gokansaki Saki is supposed to be a way better striker like eons better way more experience way more technical way more skilled way more everything than clear roundtree well he got caught and you never see that with BJJ specialists you never see that with wrestlers as well You never see them just getting caught by someone, you know, unless they're getting hurt by strikes. The big problem for the BJJ specialist is it's going to be hard for him to get it to the ground. That's where it's going to be hard. It depends who he's fighting. You know, if he's fighting a wrestler, he's not getting to the ground. He might get demolished on the feet. If he's fighting a striker, still the takedowns are going to be hard, but he's going to be able to get it to the ground eventually after some committed takedowns. And that's the other thing. When a striker, like a karate or taekwondo fighter, when he's coming up against someone who's shooting for takedowns, they don't know what to do against that. They've never seen someone do that to them ever in their life. So they don't know how to respond to it. And that's why you see a lot of strikers when people shoot takedowns on them. I'm talking about specialists. When someone shoots a takedown on them. They always freeze up. Their brain can't calculate that quickly of what to do. They're going on by instinct. There is no instinct. Nothing clicks when that happens to them. But that's just starting off. Now adapting from there. The BJJ specialist is going to have an advantage even more so. Because if you could just add on wrestling. You could be dominant. With just wrestling and BJJ, you could dominate fights. You don't even have to strike that much. You could throw some wild punches. The guy would try to counter you, but now you're on his hips. You have never seen a worse grappler submit a better grappler. Like, you never see that. But sometimes you see worse strikers outstrike better strikers. Habib versus Conor McGregor, right? Will you ever say Conor can outgrapple Habib because of his striking threat? Once you put into that perspective, you understand. Yeah, maybe the BJJ specialist is going to have the advantage adapting into MMA. Because no matter the striking threat from his opponent, that doesn't matter too much when it comes to the grappling. That's not going to impact the grappling that much, you know. Maybe strikes off the back or something, but that's not the same kind of thing. Like a uh, wrestler or a BJJ specialist or something who develops a wrestling game can have with his wrestling threat. Because now you have to worry about getting your balance taken out from under you. And you become a lot more defensive or uber offensive really good question man let me go to janny 890 if you had to go against francis agano for the fate of the planet what would be your game plan oh man so i got preparation right i got prep time i know this is a thing and i gotta get prepared for it i gotta make the game plan and i know i have to go up against francis agano something's forcing him to fight me or he's the overlord that's trying to take over the planet well obviously fighting him would be suicide actually homicide what can i do without fighting him without actually engaging him how could i get through this because hey it's the planet man i gotta do something i do remember on a podcast with mike tyson this is going really deep into analysis here he did mention that girls don't look at him right so there's probably something there he's not getting a girlfriend or you know mike tyson was kind of confused about they didn't believe him you know friends like yeah man you know girls don't look at him so that might actually be the thing that's making him do this right he's trying to take over the world so what I gotta do is, I gotta talk to my girlfriend, man. I gotta tell her, you gotta do this thing. <laughs> there's this thing that's happening. The world's gonna end. This is the planet we're talking about. And knowing her after it fails, what I'll do in the fight is, so there's a ref, right? Let's say there's a ref. I would like, try to get him to throw a high kick at me. You know, I kind of like lean low a bit so he could throw a high kick at me. And as soon as he does, I drop on all fours, you know? And hopefully the ref DQs him. That, that That's what I'll do. Hey, I'm gonna get knocked out, right? Might as well win doing it. And then we got the sarcastic genius. This has probably been asked before, but who would be your nightmare matchup? What style is the Weasels kryptonite? I've talked about it a little bit before. It's probably someone like a Habib or nah, I wouldn't say Habib as much, but probably a Colby Covington, a pressuring, wrestle-focused style, a lot of volume, really good cardio at the moment. You know, I don't want to give out any uh, game plan out there to... Eventually beat me once I compete. Imagine my first amateur fight or first professional fight or whatever it is. I fight a guy who watches my channel and I talked about how to beat me. That would probably force me never to talk about it again. Then we go to Cameron Corbin. You can make one realistic fight in every division to make a dream card. What fights are you making? Okay, that's an interesting one. So heavyweight, I'd say Francis Agano vs. Stephen Miochi. Light heavyweight, John Jones vs. Dominic Reyes 2. Middleweight, Jared Kennanier vs. Paulo Costa. I wanna see that. Welterweight Jeff Neal versus Jorge Masvidal. That'd be crazy, man. Lightweight Habib versus Tony Ferguson. Man, I understand Tony Ferguson lost, but that's still the fight to me. I want to see it because we've been waiting for too long. I don't care if both of them lose or you know one of them goes on a huge loss streak. I want to see it. It's been too long. Featherweight Alexander Volkanovski versus Korean Zombie. That fight'd be a war. Bantamweight. I want to see Sean O'Malley versus Cody Garbrandt. I want to see it, man. I understand it's probably not as competitive as a lot of people think maybe Cody absolutely runs through him maybe I want to see that one there's been a lot of build up to it Sean Amell may show us a couple things out there because people are still underrating the guy flyweight it has to be Davis and Figueroa I always want to see him fight I guess him versus Brandon Moreno that'd be interesting women's bantamweight I'd like to see Jermaine Duranamy versus Arena Aldana women's flyweight Valentina Shevchenko versus Joanne Calderwood and women's strawweight Zhang Wei Li versus vs Bro's Nami Yunus Then we go to King Zach. Fights the weasel has been in school or at the bar Thankfully I've never been in a physical fight outside of the gym I've gotten close many times but it never got to that point I always know how to defuse the situation defuse the ticking bomb and thankfully being in martial arts since I was a kid really taught me that discipline man because if I didn't do it when I was young I'd probably get so many fights that I would have regretted so thankfully I got into martial arts when I was a kid none of that happened I learned how to control myself and not succumb to anger or anything like that. Under those situations, I was always very calm and I'm usually a very laid back person. And your second question, how did you gain so much knowledge about boxing slash MMA? Well, of course, I've been watching for a very long time. I've been watching MMA for over 10 years and I've been watching boxing even longer than that. And you gain a lot of knowledge just by watching the sport for years. I mean, when you look back at yourself, Five years ago, let's say you've been watching MMA for five years. The first year you've been watching MMA, you probably think that guy was an idiot about the sport, you know? He didn't know anything about the sport compared to what you know now. That's a very similar thing as well. Also training since I was a little kid, not consistently every single year. I've taken many years off, but... You know, training Taekwondo when I was a kid, training a lot in boxing, more than I've done anything, and then doing some MMA-based training for the last, what, four or five years, that also definitely helps. But the thing is, that is a lot of times not enough, right? You even see professional fighters can't even explain what they're doing, and they can't even explain fights. It just works for them right they're like a master of the sport but they're not a teacher of it in a sense they can do it but they don't know how to explain it to others that's why you have coaches and that's why you have fighters that's why you have fighters who never become coaches or can't ever become coaches and that's also why you have coaches in general either fighters who became coaches like Mike Brown great fighters became coaches or just coaches that were never great fighters they are different skills and I've been asked this before I've been asked this question before and I did not know how to really answer it without getting into psychology so for anybody that doesn't know I'm major in psychology I know it's a bit funny but it definitely taught me a bunch of things about myself learning about the brain and all that sort of stuff so I realized that I have an extreme analytical mind no matter what I'm looking at no matter what room I walk into it's an automatic action an automatic I guess response where I'm just scanning everything we walk into a bar I know where the bathroom's at, I know who's being rowdy, I know where everybody's at, I know where the bartender is, I know which drinks are placed where. You don't have to ask the bartender where the bathroom is, I already know where it is. Even if I'm listening to music or watching a movie or watching some fictional show or whatever it is. I'm also bringing that thing I do in MMA where I think, oh, how would this fighter beat this fighter? When I bring it to rap, let's say, I want to know who is the best rapper. I want to know who's the best lyricist. So I dive deep into like Big L and Ari the Rugged Man and Black Thought and Nas's old stuff. I look at their lyrics and I listen to the words. I'm not even like listening to the tunes and the and the beats or anything like that anymore. I'm just listening to what they're saying. And that's all I'm looking for. If I'm watching a Marvel movie and I'm watching Thanos wreck shop, then I start thinking, who can beat Thanos? What, what character did they make that can absolutely beat Thanos? Can Superman beat Batman? Can Batman beat Superman? How would that play out? because we all know superman is like a universal being it depends which version right so if you take uh the strongest version he's like a fifth dimensional being who doesn't abide by the same rules a third dimensional being abides by you know so because of that there's nothing the third dimension could do to the fifth dimension it's an absolute inferiority in this kind of matchup like this is what i go into it's not just that it's everything i do if i'm playing a video game if i'm looking up microphones i want to know everything about the microphone if i'm looking up cars i want to know everything about the car i want to know what makes a tri-blend shirt like why is it tri-blend well how do they make it with these three different kind of fabrics that same mindset that i've always had since i was a little kid i brought it right into martial arts right into boxing and mma i start studying fighters automatically And then your last question, can you please write some letters to these MMA fighters so they can improve from their faults? Um, No, I'm not really into like trying to go out and asking fighters if I can help them if any fighter wants me to help them I would just do my best I don't know how much I would help but you know I have helped a, a kickboxer before a Muay Thai fighter before and I've helped some amateur fighters as well I'm still on cloud nine about for us, a hobby saying that he watches my videos sometimes and he likes my channel likes my videos and stuff the fact that he even knows who I am I'm just like blown away but then he said that I don't know I, I don't know how much my videos are helping fighters but when I hear that I, I, I don't know I don't even want I don't even want to think about it I don't even want to think about my videos helping fighters because that just puts too much pressure I usually just do it for us and I like to do it that's the main thing but if it's actually helping fighters MMA fighters I don't want to think about it man because when you guys told me if Hobby reacted to one of my videos I didn't even want to watch the video but because you guys sent it out to me I had to watch it I was barely able to sit still I was walking around my room in circles just listening to what he's saying and I'm like, man, this is so embarrassing. Faraz hobby is reacting to my video. One of the biggest masterminds in modern martial arts is talking about my video and then says the things he says and I'm just like, yeah, that's not real. Nah, he didn't say that. It was the only time in my life I've ever, I don't know if that's starstruck, but I've ever like fanboyed over anything. I never fanboy. I'm not a fanboy of anything and it just came out. It was weird. Then we go to Source Decoder. When you start fighting pro, will your nickname be the Weasel? Sources want to know. Probably, yeah. It's a beast name. Then we go to Raihan Abni. I don't know how to pronounce that. Who do you think the top five stars of the UFC in terms of pay-per-view draws right now are? Okay, so Conor's retired. I think number one is Jorge Masvidal. Number two is Habib. Number three, probably John Jones. Number four. Now that's where it gets tough. Number four could be Tony Ferguson. Who knows? I mean. How much do you give him credit for the $700,000 pay per view buy that he did with Justin Gaethje? Because you got to remember, Justin Gaethje was not known that much. Tony Ferguson's name has always been out there. It was also, you know, the first pay-per-view card since the pandemic. So that was probably a big thing. Who knows? I don't really know exactly how much Tony Ferguson can draw, especially coming off a loss. But then again, there's not many stars outside of that. Like, everyone else is comparable to each other. Who is selling, like, 400000 or less? I mean, 400000 is actually pretty good. But the only one that was drawing 400000 was Stephen Miocic fighting Daniel Cormier but I also think Nate Diaz was also on that card oh wait Nate Diaz wow I I can't believe I just forgot about him after John Jones I probably say Nate or Nate might be even before Jones so Nate Diaz might be three Jones might be four number five it's either Tony Ferguson or Stephen Miocic I still don't know what Israel Adesanya sells I I have no idea because if you look at his fight with uh, Yoel Romero I don't know how much he sold. Prelims did 1 million views. The only pay-per-view car we know how much Ezra Asanya sold was when he fought Anderson Silva at UFC 234 after Whitaker and Gaslam fell apart. And that sold 175,000 buys. Which is very low. His other fights against Whitaker and Romero aren't disclosed. We have no idea what it sold. We do know by the gate. UFC 234 when he fought Anderson Silva. It was like the same gate as when he fought Yuval Romero. But the Whitaker gate is like double that. So I don't even know if that equates to anything because obviously the gate is for audiences and stuff which is different than pay-per-view but they both do have like a similar traction right Conor McGregor always sells a high gate while always selling high pay-per-views while fighters who sell less pay-per-views usually have a lesser gate I don't know I don't know how big he is I gotta go by what I know and I don't think he sells more than Stipe or Tony Ferguson but then again when you look at social media Adesanya I don't know about Stipe Miocic but Adasanya and Tony Ferguson have like very similar numbers i think adesanya has a lot more uh, instagram followers like 400 000 more or something but then again the fans of israel adesanya aren't buying pay-per-view right they don't have pay-per-view like we do in the united states and the united states is the numbers that we get now this is very different when you talk about global stardom not pay-per-view when we're talking about global stardom habib has everybody beat by far it's not even close and then we look at number two on global stardom maybe jorge masvidal Maybe number three might be Nate Diaz. Number four, I'd say John Jones, and then number five, I definitely say Israel Adesanya. We go to Ryan Fleming. Where does Kevin Lee fit into all this? Kevin Lee's always up there for a title shot, man. Whenever I've never seen a fighter where when they win one time, the bandwagon is going, the hype train is going. I've never seen a fighter like that. You know, even losing two, three times or something, which I don't think it happened to him, but let's say even if it did, winning one time, the guys fan base gets going everybody jumps on the hype train he's the next contender he's the who can challenge habib every time i've never seen a fire like that and i think a lot of it does come from joe rogan right joe rogan's really high on kevin lee and his uh talent and his potential which he is talented he has a lot of potential he has many skills he can really work with but i don't know man i don't know what it is it's something mentally he has skills of course but there's something mentally about him where when he has things going right he just messes it up or he makes a big mistake in a fight, right? Especially that Charles Oliveira fight in that third round. He's doing so well and then he just gets super aggressive and he goes for the take and gets submitted. I just really hope he could get everything together. Then we go to Colin Fahey. Chill Sonnen just put out a video talking about the four best boxers in MMA. Where he included Francis Aganu, Conor McGregor, Max Holloway, and Frankie Egger. Really? Many people including myself thought that Kelvin Cater should have been on the list instead of Frankie. Do you agree... And how do you think Kelvin will do when he inevitably has to face the great boxers in the featherweight division, like Max Holloway and Korean Zombie? Yeah, I was kind of um I was kind of shocked at the Frankie Egg replacement. Well, what does he mean by four best boxers? Does he mean like the, with the best results or the most skilled boxer? Because let's be honest here, Francis is not one of the four most skilled boxers in the UFC. We gotta admit that. He's a good boxer for the heavyweight division. Like he is pretty skilled his results is what really gives him credit though when he hits once you go out and not a lot of fighters have that quality in them right max holloway for example if max holloway could put people out with one shot he's the best boxer of all time i don't exactly know what he means by best boxer i'll say skilled though because skilled is what i equate to best boxer i'll say Conor McGregor for sure right you can say max holloway but i think he's more of a kickboxer i don't think he just goes with the hands and that's exactly what he does to get the most effect out of a fight he mixes up a lot of things even though he's an amazing boxer i'll say connor's for sure on it i'll say kelvin cater 100 like there's no way you can go over kelvin cater i understand he's not a top-ranked guy i understand he's not fighting for a belt as he's never a champion but that, none of that matters we're talking about mma mma has so many different skills does that mean the best taekwondo fighter in the ufc is who kamar usman because there is none no you have to look at everybody that's the thing so you go to yari rodriguez is probably the best taekwondo fighter in the ufc even though he's never fought for a title or never become a champion so Kelvin Cater people overlook him definitely one of them Jeff Neal Jeff Neal might be on the list I understand he hasn't fought some of the best boxers in the UFC he hasn't fought some of the best strikers in the UFC but his skill when you just look at his skill look at his technique it's there it's 100% there do I put him top four I don't know but I could see someone putting him in there Jose Aldo is a good boxer but where's Petr Jan where's Petr I would say patreon's top four. 100%. You can even say Cody Garbrandt when he's calm. is a great boxer. Steepy Milčić, steepy kind of outboxed Francis in their fight. He outboxed Daniel Cormier. Even in the first fight, Cormier didn't beat him in the boxing. He caught him in the clinch and uh, got in that underhook. Right hand over the top, and that's not boxing, right? You don't learn that in boxing at all. Steepy can be up there. Dominic Reyes can be argued top four. Paulo Colsa is a great boxer. Even though he's not as skilled as a lot of these guys, he is relatively skilled, more than what Dan Hardy says. And I don't know why Dan Hardy went after him the way he did. Definitely more skilled than a lot of fighters give credit. And also the power and the pace is what really adds into it as well so all that combined you can even put paulo Costa maybe not top four but you can put him like top 10 edmund shabazian is a great boxer jorge masvidal is up there zabit magomed sharipov is a great boxer i wouldn't put him top four but he is a really good boxer dustin poirier is an amazing boxer how could i forget rob font when you talk about kelvin cater you also have to talk about rob font rob font is one of the best boxers in the ufc as well so top four if i have to slim down that list into four boxers Conor mcgregor I put in there Kelvin Cater 100% Petr and then number four it's a toss-up between a lot of fighters Dominic Reyes might be there Rob Font might be there Dustin Poirier might be there due to results as well as his skill I would have to say Dominic Reyes they would have Kel 46 if Gustafson versus Nganud happened how would it play out David Gay says there is a video of a similar fight just type on YouTube father beats six-year-old son oh man Yeah, it wouldn't be good for Gustafson Nganu has a longer reach Hits him once, it's probably over Gustafson does get hit sometimes He's gonna have to put in some real power onto his punches To hurt Nganu because Nganu has an insane chin Gustafson is susceptible to some uppercuts at times Like Dan Cormier was able to hit him with But uh, that was in the clinch, so it's a little bit different Yeah, I don't think it goes well for Gustafson I think initially he could start tagging Nganu a bit Throw in some jabs, catch him there But get into Nganu's range like that To set up combinations You're gonna stay there a little bit too long, man If Nganu wants to trade with you you're trying to set up something that's not gonna play well for Gustafson I think eventually after Gustafson is like winning the fight tagging Ngano with the speed advantage getting in and out and stuff Ngano might start kicking his legs slow down Gustafson a bit the leg kicks are gonna force Gustafson to move and move into the cage that's when Ngano starts finding his hooks landing And one big one, I think a big right hook or right overhand, slaps Gaustus and puts him to the ground. And I'll do one more. We're going to go to Logan Scott. Number one, do you think Mike Perry still has the potential to become a contender at 170? In my opinion, I have seen little improvements in all of his performances, but not enough in order to make him a legit contender. Wanted to see what you thought. Yeah, I agree. I don't ever see him being a contender of the 170 pound division. I think he's going to be that fun fighter that's always around. The UFC does not want to get rid of him. He always puts on good fights. Kind of what Vanderlei Silva wanted to be like when he came into the UFC, you know? I can see him probably in the future making it to like top 10. Like lower parts of top 10 after getting some good performances. And knocks out the right kind of guys. Gets in top 10. Loses a fight. And you know, just keeps fighting all over the place. And everybody will tune in to watch him. Number two. After watching Yuri Prashasca's starch Vulcan at UFC 251. It made me think. What kind of benefits does an awkward style bring to a fight? That a more technical and traditional style doesn't Technique has been seen to outdo an awkward style like in the Geishi Ferguson fight But sometimes being awkward and unconventional can become a benefit for a fighter Yes so it's the unpredictability That's That's really what it comes down to You do things that the other fighter never sees And when someone is so traditional And just sticks to a similar style A very generic style When you come forward at them with something they've never seen before They don't know how to react to it initially They need time to get the hang of it Because, think about it like this, when two Muay Thai fighters fight each other, very generic, general Muay Thai fighters, they know what the other's trying to do. They've been through it in the gym countless times. Tat for tat, kick for kick, all this stuff happens. They understand how the rhythm goes. Because they're so used to it from the training room. But now you bring in someone who's like fighting weird and backwards and, you know, not the normal stuff. That fighter who has never seen it in the gym, they gotta make up that time in the octagon or, you know, in the ring to get the hang of it at the same way but they're never going to get the hang of it the same way they get hanged to the styles that they always train for right it depends what you're training for you never train for a guy like Yuri unless you're preparing for him specifically so a guy like Volkan Uzmir who's a kickboxer he's seen these stuff he's like whoa okay he gets thrown off a bit you see him kind of freezing in front of Yuri sometimes yeah he tagged him at the right hand when he saw the opening but there were times where Volkan was just staring at him his brain wasn't processing what to do because he's never seen it before he's never prepared for it before so it's a whole new chapter it's a whole new test for him to take right it's like taking a test that you didn't prepare for you have to kind of wing it with the skills you have so that's the kind of thing an awkward style can bring into a fight but yes if you're preparing for the guy Justin Gaethje Ferguson right Gaethje has seen Ferguson fight so many times right even though he's not preparing for him specifically for a long stretch of time he's always seen him fight so he has a general understanding of what Ferguson does Yuri I guarantee Volkan barely seen this guy fight Or at least not to the same extent, right? Only for that training camp he's seen Yuri fight. Only in that training camp he prepared for him. That's the only time, only for a couple months he's prepared for this style. Gaethje's seen Ferguson fight for years. He already has a mental check of how the guy competes on what he does. He already has like this mental, already established, general idea of how to fight Ferguson. Every fighter who watches a fighter compete, they have these mental checks of how they fight. They understand what they can do to that fighter. And then going to a short training camp, preparing for Ferguson, all that stuff. And not only Geishi, but his coach is a mad genius, right? He watches everything. He knows everything about Ferguson, even before he trained Geishi. So that's what it really comes down to. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. The reason why it was a bit of a wait is because I'm waiting on a bunch of equipment that's supposed to come in. Most of them came in, but I have one that I'm waiting for. And I was just hoping I could wait it out a bit so I could start doing these live. Because going through the editing process literally takes like a whole day to do and if I just do it live I don't have to go through that and you guys can see the podcast a lot sooner and a lot quicker and a lot more often so when the equipment comes these are going to be on a more strict basis on a more strict schedule and I cannot wait for that so again I hope you guys enjoyed it make sure to give it a like make sure to subscribe to my youtube channel make sure to give a review to the podcast as well wherever you're watching it because that does help the podcast as well it does help it reach out to uh, a larger audience and all that stuff so that would be amazing as well